It's good to see you guys. If you're new around here, this is a first time or first time in a long time. One of the things I like to do a couple times a year is come and just do what I call a state of the church address where I talk about some of the different things that have been happening here in the church and really, again, remind us where we are going uh, together as a church body. And so I like to celebrate a lot of things and then point you to a few things forward and then we'll get into the message. And so we're going to deal with a little bit of that stuff on the front end here because there's a lot of different things we're really, really excited about and want to celebrate together as a church body. Um, one of those things is, uh, if you remember, if you've been here in November, December, we've been talking a lot about end of year giving. I uh, really hate talking about finances a whole lot. However, it's a good thing to keep in front of the church, let you know where things are going because it, it's an indicator of kind of of uh, some of the different cool things that, that God's been doing. Right around this time last year, we got to come and give a great uh, announcement that for the very first time as a church body, we were debt-free as a church, and we were celebrating that because of the ministry opportunity that that, that frees us up with. Uh, this year, we got a little sim- a, similar sim- uh, a similar thing to celebrate. Um, we were asking for about four fifty, four hundred fifty thousand dollars in November, December, which is about thirty percent of our annual budget, thirty thirty three percent of our annual budget, which is how it always works out in nonprofit world. It always comes in at the end of the year, and uh, with two days left at the end of the year, Jeff and I were talking, and we're like, "Well, it doesn't look like we're going to be hitting that goal. We're pretty far short and everything else." Um, and I just want to celebrate with you guys, as of today, the, the end of year actual received was $543,894. And so um, for some of you that don't, you don't care about money, it's not a thing that you think about. Maybe you're even a cynic and you're like, hey, some churches talk about that all the time. Um, this is one of these things we just want to celebrate. One of the ways that we think about finances around here, they're not the end all, be all. Uh, they're not the only thing we think about. And um, However, we do celebrate some of these things because of the ministry opportunities that they open up and allow us to do. And so I just want to simply look at those numbers and just say thank you, church. Again, I, I say this a lot. I'm just incredibly grateful for the generosity of our church body. Um, you guys have, you, 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 you do this really, really well. And I just want to say thank you for all those things. And so um, we don't, you know, it, it doesn't go to like staff bonuses or any of those kinds of things. It's not any of, any of those things that come in with excess giving. You notice in your bulletin, uh, we're, we are plus $200,000 at this point in time in the year compared to what we re- expected to receive. And again, that's a testimony to your generosity. It's a testimony to some growth that's taking place around here and just God's faithfulness in and through our church body. So just wanted to say thank you to that. Uh, the question always comes up from this is, well, okay, what does excess funds go to? And uh, that's the reason for giving vision and talking about some of the different things for, that are coming up in the church body. And so they do go to different things. Uh, two of the things that they are definitely being set aside for is uh, f- future facilities expansion planning. You notice we've got a very old campus around here that we've been putting some patchwork on lately. And, uh, and so preparing for the day that uh, we don't ever want to be a church that's going back into debt and doing that again. And so we'll be planning for future facilities and things like that. Also, you notice our missions fund got a big boost also. If you remember from a week or two ago, uh, we were in the red, and uh, all of a sudden now I believe we're about 10000 in the plus. And so, again, all of that's going to our missionaries and to external-focused ministries that, that we're involved in here at the church body. And so, again, just say thank you for, for all of your involvement there. Uh, next week, we did have one donor that said, hey, I've got a $5,000 matching gift. And so on, the, on next week, when we come together to do our missions gift, uh, our missions week, um, we'll have a $5,000 matching gift that day. And so if you want to 
um, give up to that. That will go directly to missionaries this next year. And so I wanted to throw that out at you also. Um, I want to remind you, there's a thing that's been on the top of my board in my office every single day I come into. Started here at the church about four years ago, and uh, I came in, first senior pastor position ever, praying a lot, very, very fearful of the job, um, very insecure about a lot of different things. And I've spent a lot of time praying, saying, okay, Lord, what in the world do you want to do here? What do you want to do here? And I feel very specifically that God kind of gave me something. I wrote it down at the top of my board, and I've kind of kept it in focus every day that we come into work and we do this thing called the church. But I wrote on the top of my board, be humble, draw near to me, and send my church. Be humble, draw near to me, and send my church. And I remember in those early days coming into DBC just saying, okay, Lord, I want to be a church that's all about your glory. I want us to be a church that, that you're actually praised and that our community is different as a result of what you're doing here at DBC. And that's what he gave me. Just simply come in, be humble, draw near to me on a personal level, draw near to me as a church body, and then send that church, get them out in the community, get them out in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, living in such a way that's going to be for the praise and glory of my name. And so that's been one of these staples that's been around here at the church body. One of the ways that we talk about our vision here is that we hope and pray that by God's grace, we would be a church that's included in the 1%. Now, if you're new around here, you probably don't have no idea what I'm talking about with the 1%, but the 1% is referring to a study that came out a number of years back, which I shared with you guys probably about three or four years ago, that was just talking about the different trends in church culture today. Um, This particular study talked about how in the next seven years, and this is probably about I'm close to seven years ago at this time, but it was talking about in the next seven years, there's going to be about 55,000 churches that close their doors in the United States of America, right? That's an enormous number. It, the, the article went on and talked about how the average church attendance on a weekend in America is going to be about 17% of our, is going to go from about 17% of our population all the way down to 14% which we're talking millions and millions of people dropping out of the church, walking away from the faith altogether. And so some of those things were incredibly alarming. The thing that was most alarming to me was this. The article went on and talked about the state of the church in America, and it said this, of all the churches in the country, there's only about 20% of them that are experiencing growth today. And here it is. Of those who are experiencing growth today, only about 1% of those churches are doing it, largely through reaching people who are unchurched and reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we are talking about when we hope and pray by God's grace that over time that he would do such a work here that we would be a church that's included in the 1%. We want to be reaching our community. We want to be going into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the praise and glory of his name. We want people who are far away, lost and dead in their sins. Maybe they know Christ and they've walked away from the church. Maybe they don't know him at all. We want them to be coming back into the church body to understand who their God is, the God who created them, God who loved them, the God who gave him a purpose. And so that is our hope and prayer, that we would be a church that is included in that 1%. One of the convictions we've had this past year to become that church that's included in the 1% is that we need to increase and we need to grow in our, in our really dependency upon the Lord in prayer. And then number two, in our uh, efforts to mobilize the church body and to keep sending you out into the community and into the world. And so... If you remember from last August, we talked about kind of two big rock priorities that we had here that we're going to be focusing on a lot this next year, really prayer and mobilization. And so those are the two things that we've been focusing on uh, quite a bit around here because we believe that if we need, we're going to become that kind of church that we talk about and we pray about, then it can't just be a few people that are coming together on their knees asking God to move. It has got to be a body of believers that recognize that the power that they have through the Holy Spirit comes when we're on our knees. 
And so we've been talking about that a lot. We've had um, this past year, beginning in, uh, I believe it was August is when we started the brand new prayer cohort that is on Monday nights, and uh, we're starting it kind of small right now. Uh, the hope and desire is to keep it in front of you in the near future so that you'll have an opportunity to be a part of it too. But essentially what this whole cohort is about is listening to the Holy Spirit, being dependent upon him in prayer learning how to prayerfully engage with the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. And so we've been growing in that on Mondays on a monthly basis. Uh, we did our whole Psalm series, which is about praying according to God's word. Uh, we've been talking and promoting and pumping up freedom prayer quite a bit, which if, you, if you've never been involved in freedom prayer, this is not a normal kind of a, a prayer exercise where you come and you pray about a few things, maybe a list or something like this. Freedom prayer is an intercessory prayer ministry uh, that we're heavily engaged in here, and we encourage most people to come through. Uh, what you do is you come in and and essentially, you're going to come in and you're going to come and bring specific things. If you need freedom from anything in your past, freedom from anything in your present, anything specifically to come in, you're going to deal with some of those things in your past, and you're going to pray specifically through those different kinds of, of issues. And it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a longer process. It's a beautiful process, and it's very hard to describe, but uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I know a lot of you guys have been a part of Freedom Prayer. We hope and pray that you are changing that we are changing by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are not the same today as we were last year or the year before or five years before that or 10 years before that, that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is setting you free to go into walk in power with him. And so that's largely what Freedom Prayer is about, and we heavily encourage you to be a part of that. You can sign up for that online. There's a link, and you can get, uh, you can get connected there. Elder prayer, staff prayer, elders gather together in that in that room over there every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. You're welcome to come in there if you want specific prayer. Uh, we are bringing people into elder meetings for prayer. The first hour of our meetings typically is spent through intercessory prayer for the church body. It's what we do. It's not like we're making massive decisions, balancing budgets and stuff like that. Elders pray. That's what we do. We care for people. We pray and we lift up your needs and we ask God to move on our behalf. And so uh, we want you to be a part of that. And then, uh, of course, I just want to say, coming up this next year, uh, look for some upcoming corporate nights of prayer and praise. And so um, that was a thing that was brought up recently, and we're going to be looking to integrate that into our rhythm here in the very near future, that prayer is not just something you do in isolation. It's not just something that you do in a small group or before a meal or something like that, or maybe you're on 635 in traffic. God, get me out of this thing. Like Prayer is a thing that we come together and we do corporately as a body. And I think as we get into the passage I'm going to look at it here in a little bit, you're going to understand that part of what you do and part of your responsibility as you consider other people in the church body, look to build them up, look to encourage them and intercede on their behalf. One of the most valuable things you can do is to be a person that individually prays with other people in this church body. And so we're going to be doing that together here in the very near future with some uh, corporate gatherings of prayer and praise. Um, the other big rock that I wanted to talk about is really our efforts to mobilize. And again, this gets back to this whole thing I've uh, been wanting to do from the very beginning is that, is that we would be a church that sends our people out, right? That you understand that you're sent. That it's not just a few ministers or a few elders or a few people over here, maybe they were ordained or they went to that Bible school or whatever it may be, that every single man, woman, and child who has the Holy Spirit inside of them has been sent by God and given a mission, like you have a purpose, and it's not just a purpose in and of yourself, unto yourself. It is a purpose that exists for the praise and for the glory of God. And so you have a critical role in the mission of God. We want this church to understand everyone who comes in here, that has been given to you, and that you are sent back into the community, sent back into the world uh, on mission. 
And so that's what we've been going after. We've got a number of short-term trips that we've developed this next year, going to Guatemala, going to Bangladesh. Again, all of those different opportunities are up online. That's what we're doing in this missions conference is that you're going to be hearing about some of those opportunities and having an opportunity for you to say, you know what, for the very first time in my life, I'm willing to let go of my comfort. I'm willing to let go of my money, of my time, and say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to be stretched by God and used by God, hopefully, in an area of the world that, that needs to hear him and understand him. And so I'm praying that some of you are going to be taking that next step of faith uh, for the very first time in your life here very, very soon. Uh, local outreach, you heard Jeff talk about that. We've amped up those efforts there. We've got a lot of different on-ramps for you there. And then really the main thing we talked about this past semester was our community grant efforts. Uh, if you were around last semester, you saw some of this, but we designated about $75,000 in our budget um, to go outside of all of our other local mission issues, all of our other outreach issues, ministries, efforts, and things like that. And we gave it into your hands. And we said, if you're part of a small group, we want you to prayerfully discern how to invest this money into the community which you already live in, again, for the praise and glory of God. And so that was a lot of fun, right? I hope you guys had fun. Uh, we had about 27 groups participate, which um, is well over half of our actual uh, average gathering here on a Sunday morning, participate prayerfully discerning how to invest in our community, to love our community, and to make it a better place for the glory of God. Um, that was a ton of fun. One of the things that we talked about those on Thanksgiving Sunday, which was December 1st, one of the things that I thought was really cool, I didn't expect this to happen, uh, Ricky and her group, I mean, she talked about um, this ministry that's local here in Richardson. It's been around nationally for quite a while. Moved here to Richardson this past year. It's called Feed My Starving Children. And if you remember this, on Thanksgiving Sunday, she stood up here and she's like, hey, we are going out there on Wednesday, January the 15th. We need about 120 of you to sign up and join us so that we can go uh, prepare food packets. They're going to be sent to communities all around the world that have no food, right? Do you remember that? And so, and she's like, hey, I'd love for you to come join us. Well, we had about 225, 240 people uh, sign up and be like, yes, I'm bringing my kids. I'm bringing my spouse. I, we are coming out there. We're going to be a part of this. And so uh, this past Wednesday, like, it was awesome. I think I got a few pictures here. If you want to scroll through some of these things. Uh, a few days ago, just on, on Wednesday, this is the first group. In fact, uh, we had so many people, we, we did another Wednesday, which is going to be this upcoming Wednesday. Nice little selfie right there. Um, does no favor on that chin. Anyway, um, so... Uh, but this is, this is awesome. That's what we're doing. So we had the church come out there. Kids are welcome. They had an awesome time. You can come be a part of that. Even Amy Iatt's welcome, right? You can see that, right? So it's like, all right, I mean, it's a great place to come. And what you're doing is you're preparing packets of food. Uh, I want to say, dadgummit, I knew I should have written down these numbers. Um, I want to say over, over 50 children are going to be given food uh, three meals a day, I think, for an entire year. Um, as a result of the donation and as a result of, so what we do, we come and partner financially and then you come practically, you fill these packets and then and there, they're sent overseas to these areas in the world where they literally have no food to eat. And I can't tell you as a parent like how much joy that brought me to tell um, Caleb what was going on around the world. I mean, we showed him these pictures and we said, hey buddy, like what you experience here isn't normative. It's not normative. Like privilege, it's real. And that's not a thing we run from. It's a thing we say, look, like we've been given unbelievable amounts of grace here in Dallas, Texas to not have to worry where we're going to live, if we're going to have a shelter over our head, if we're going to eat today, if we're going to have access to medication, hospitals, or anything like that. Like It's an unbelievable privilege of things that God has given us all around the world. And God gives us these things so that we can share them with people who don't have them. 
And so we got to have that lesson opportunity with him, and so many of you guys did too. And so that was one of the fruits of the community grant that took place this past semester. I'm still celebrating that one quite a bit. And if you, uh, I think we still, we, you may have a few people fall out. You may have some opportunity if you wanted to come this next upcoming Wednesday. You may be able to do that. You can reach out to anybody here, and we can see if we can plug you in there. But uh, again, again, it's all about uh, mobilizing the church body and that we would go way out there and see that you, we all have a ro- role to play in the, uh, in the kingdom of God. There's a few things I want to talk about here for the very near future. Um, number one is just how, do, how we, one of the big questions I get around here is how do we deal with the growth, right? How are we going to be dealing with the growth? One of the things I love about DBC is the medium-sized, small-sized nature of this place where we can know people. You don't get lost in the big scuffle of things. Nevertheless, you know, we're growing around here. How are you going to deal with that? Um, if you've been over to our children's ministry, just a little perspective, um, in the past few years, we've gone from about 75 kids a week. I think last week we had about 320, right? At the beginning, there was a peak one time last semester when everybody decided to come to church on the same day. We had over 400 people, 400 kids. That's birth through fifth grade, right? That's an insane amount of kids, right? Um, and so, uh, way to go. We're a fertile church. But um, <laughs> so... Um, you know, so that's happening around here. And, of course, you see, like, we've added a, a second service a few years back. And, and so how, do, how are we going to deal with some of these things? In a few weeks, we're going to be dealing with a, an architect that's going to be looking at our campus and giving us an understanding of uh, what it looks like to care for older facilities here, uh, what the most efficient, what's the best use of our funds would be to handle any growth around here. We don't desire to become this, this mega or anything like that. We like the personal nature of how relationships are easily built here. Um, nevertheless, we have needs for space, for kids, for school, and stuff like that. And so we'll be exploring some of those options and uh, what that looks like. We have no desire to go back in a debt or to do anything dumb uh, or anything that's going to cripple us for ministry in the future and stuff. And so uh, we'll be looking at some of those options here in the very near future and really in the next couple of weeks, uh, taking a look at that. Long term, we want to become a church planting church. Uh, we're not there right now. That's not going to solve any problems for us right now. Long term, we do want to become a church planting church. We're going to start with a Hispanic church, uh, a Hispanic church plant that's going to reach our immediate vicinity here. And we're hoping to bring that person on staff uh, by the end of the semester, by the beginning of the summer. And so uh, we're going to be working towards that end right there. And um, but number three is uh, we will be thinking about a third service. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, when that would make sense. Uh, not soon or. Uh, what time or any logistics are still to be there, but we're going to be considering those things. And, of course, somebody suggested if you always want to deal with a, a growing problem, just start preaching politics, right? So I can deal with that. So uh, we got an election year this year. I mean, I could really, really divide people up real quickly like that. And so, uh, by the way, please don't send me your emails about, hey, I need you to preach this platform or that platform. Can I just tell you right now it's not going to happen? It's just not going to happen, right? You're all going to be offended, by who we vote for and by what platform you stand on because we're following Jesus first and he's going to contradict our politics, okay? So can I just say that? Save the emails. We're not going to do that. I'm going to tell you to care for the poor. I'm going to tell you to build up, you know, provide jobs. I'm going to tell you to do all kinds of things that in pursuing Jesus Christ first and foremost, it's going to offend your political party. And that's okay. You should be offended by some of the things that we see that are politically happening in our country today. And nevertheless, we understand we're following Christ. And so just don't ask me to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm not going to affirm your decision for who you voted for either, okay? Um, so, sorry, that wasn't part of the script. So uh, we're just going to keep going there. Just needed to get that one off the, off the, 
off the thing. I was a rookie pastor my first year when, when, the, when the whole election first hit, right? And things got really, really crazy. So I felt like there were a few things to say right there. Um, so anyway, one more thing that's going to be coming up in March 29th. We're going to be doing a Sunday serve day. And this is going to be very, very different. We've never done this on a Sunday morning instead of coming in and doing a normal worship gathering. Again, we're going to be mobilizing the church body to go into the community and on a Sunday morning to be able to go in to serve uh, people all around us. And so we're going to have some massive opportunities to serve in the immediate apartment complexes that, that we partner with through some of our outreach programs and things like that. We're going to be over there involved in those communities. We are, look, we are trying to talk, trying to connect with, again, Feed My Starving Children, some different service areas that we can be involved in our actual community that Sunday morning. We will gather up here for a breakfast and for a launching kind of a thing, and then we're going to go into the community, and we're going to be the church in the community that day, and so it's going to be very, very different. And that's okay, because we are called to be out there, and we're going to get a sense that I am a sent person. It's not a few people. It is the entire body of Christ going into the community for the praise and for the glory of God. Um, last one, May, you're going to see this, and this is a thing that's in process right now. I'm just calling it a Go Partnership. If you're around for Revive Texas a few years ago, this is, an this is a thing which we partner with about 120 other churches in our city uh, to mobilize the church body Every day for 50 days from Easter, to, from Pentecost to Easter, we mobilize the church body in partnership with others around there to go into the community, praying with people and sharing the gospel, old-fashioned evangelism. And guess what? God still works when you engage people in, relation, in, in those weird conversations. And so we're going to continue to do that. We're going to be, uh, the logistics are still being worked out. There's going to be city prayer. There's going to be citywide evangelism. It's not going to be the exact same thing as Revive Texas was or anything like that. Nevertheless, in May, that's going to be coming up. And we're going to be saying, hey, some of us have never shared our faith ever in our lives. And this is the time to come and say, you know what? I believe that the Holy Spirit lives in me. The same one that lives in me is the same one that lives in him and her over there and this, that, and the other. There is no junior Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to be walking my faith, asking God to use me to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ this year. I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm going to do that. And so we are going to be providing that opportunity here uh, in May. Again, church, it is all about the praise and for the glory of Jesus' name. We don't want to come and just do church. We don't want to come and just let this be this comfortable, um, th this country club kind of experience here where we, we get our ears tickled a little bit. We go on and we think things are fine when they're not actually fine. Jesus needs to be lifted up. And so that's what this entire thing is about. And so if you were here last week, I launched into this brand new series on the book of Colossians. We're calling it very simply Jesus First. That's the theme for this semester is that Jesus would actually ascend on the throne of your life, that he would come to take first place in absolutely everything. And so that's what we're going to be doing here very, very soon. Um, at Christmas time, I'll tell you this, Kat gave me this book, and uh, she reads like eight books a week, just reads voraciously, and I love it. But um, she gave me this book called Disappearing Church, uh, The Hope for Renewal and the Rise of a Post-Christian Culture. Disappearing Church, The Hope for Renewal and the rise of a post-Christian culture. Do you guys know we're, we're living in a post-Christian culture, right? I hope we understand that, right? Like we're, we're not what, things are different than how they used to be. 
Uh, what's funny about this book is it's not the only one like it. There's so many different books that are out there that are all essentially saying the same thing. Okay, church leader, church person, you Christian, how in the world do you live in a post-Christian world where no longer do you have the cultural Christianity going on that affirms your lifestyle decisions? Now it's actually antagonistic to your decisions and following Jesus isn't as popular as it used to be. How in the world do you go and do that kind of thing? And the, what's funny about this book is, again, like everybody's writing about the exact same thing. You know what they're saying? They're saying, number one, um, it's going to disseminate, they're gonna, it's going to help us understand if Jesus is actually first in our life, number one, through difficulty, through trial, through tribulation, we're going to find out if Jesus is actually first place in our life. But again, the answer that they keep saying is that Jesus has to be first place in your churches, it has to be first place in your life. Like that's, what ha that's what the answer is. It's very, very simple. They go into a lot more detail, but over, I've seen the exact same thing. It's all boiling down to, is Jesus actually first place in your life? And so I want to jump back into that this morning. In the time that we have left, I just want to give you one word from our section today. I want to focus on one thing because we've had a lot of things happening. But I want you to just see that it's going to all come down to one word here in our text this morning. This is Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 24 and I'm going to go through 29. Okay? So um, quick reminder, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Colossae. He's doing it from prison. This is one of the four prison epistles, right? Uh, and so he's writing this letter from prison, probably under house arrest, in Rome to the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae is a lot like the church in Dallas. It is very wealthy. It is very self-sufficient. It is very independent. It is influenced heavily by a, uh, by a, a religiously plural world. And so there's a lot of different influences that are there. And in every step of the way, the Apostle Paul is writing them. And he's saying that in everything I'm writing this, that he may be preeminent in every part of your life. He may be first place in your life. And so um, here's what he says, starting in verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to pray before we jump into God's word and just, Father, you know our desire. Our desire is to see you praised and lifted up. God, we want to see you glorified in our church, in our lives, in our community, in our world. Father, we want to see you lifted up high. So, Father, we give you our time, and Lord, I pray that you would actually ascend on the throne of our lives and come to have first place in everything. We need you. We want to be receptive to your word today, and so we surrender to it gladly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Um, right off the bat in this passage, you probably heard this. Like Paul is beginning to say some really, really weird things. Right? You, you see this. He's saying, he's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings. And I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, his church. Like what, like what in the world is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Why in the world would anybody rejoice in their sufferings, right? Is, is Paul this, uh, is he a sadist? Is he just like, is he just, he doesn't like creature comforts. He's so hyper-spiritual in his world. Like he doesn't need the things that we need and he, does, he can get by on just a little bit. It's, it's not what Paul's saying here in this passage. 
All Paul's saying right here is that the glory of Jesus, church, the glory of Jesus, the reality of, of all these people hearing and responding to the gospel as a result of me being in prison, the reality of me proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ at all costs, the reality that people are surrendering to him, giving their life to him, that the reality that the church is being built up as a result of my suffering, he's saying all of it's worth it compared to what I'm getting in the end, compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. Every bit of my suffering is worth is worth it for the sake of Jesus' name. Verse 28, he's gonna say, it's Jesus that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. For this, he says, I toil. In other words, I'm working incredibly hard. Like, it's not easy work. I'm not just clocking in and clocking out. I'm toiling for this. I'm laboring for this thing, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. But church, that's the goal, right? That we are going to present every single man, woman, and child mature in Jesus Christ and complete in him. In other words, there's a way to be in Christ. There's a way to know about Christ that is not actually walking in maturity. It is not walking, and that's what Paul's saying. He says, my goal, the thing which I toil for, the thing which I am working for, is that every man, woman, and child is going to grow up and walk in maturity with him. That we wouldn't just be a church that is content to know a few certain things about who Jesus actually is, that we would be a church that hungers for him, that thirsts for righteousness, that, that loves him actually with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That we wouldn't just pick and choose a few things to obey, but that we'd actually walk with him daily in total surrender. That, that, that we wouldn't just be partial, that we wouldn't be partial and love only people that are like us, that are, that are rich or wealthy or think like us or vote like us or have hobbies like us, that we would actually be a church that loves all and is willing to help all follow Jesus. Church, like that's the goal, okay? So when Paul is saying that he is filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions right here, he's not saying that, he's not saying that anything's lacking in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, all he's saying is that sacrifice is going to be required of us as well, and that somehow um, it's connected to our maturity. Uh, he's, it's what he's talking about in, in Romans chapter 10 when he's, he's trying to get the church to get up and go, essentially. And he says this. He says, how are they going to call on him if they've never believed? How are they going to believe in the one that they've never heard about? How are they going to hear if no one's willing to tell them? How are they going to preach if they haven't been sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach good news. In other words, like, how in the world can the gospel be good if it doesn't get to people in time? How in the world can the gospel be good news if it doesn't get to people in time for them to receive it? Like, the only way that it's good is if it's declared by people who believe it and received by those who don't. Like, that's what Paul's saying right here. I heard a Romanian pastor put it like this. He said this. He said, it's not propitiation that's lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's propagation. It's not propitiation that is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's propagation. Christ's cross was for propitiation. Our cross is for propagation. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation, which is propitiation. We suffer in order to spread salvation. And our willingness to endure hardship for the good of others is a filling up of Christ's afflictions because it extends the benefits of Christ's death to them and it makes Jesus visible. By the way, the, the, the pastor who's writing this and talking about this is a, is a pastor who suffered for well over 10 years in a communist prison. And he writes about it extensively, just all the different sufferings. And he talks about rejoicing in his ability to, in the deal that he made with the, with the other guards. And uh, he says a number of us made this exact same deal, but he says we, re, we, made, we, we cut a deal with the guards. They allowed us to preach to other inmates and to other guards, and uh, we agreed to let them beat us for it. And he says we took joy in that. We preached, they beat us. We preached, they beat us. It was a, it was a mutual enjoyment. 
And, and so like, that's what's going on. And he goes on, and I love how he talks about this. He says, this is the conviction that kept me going all those years in prison, that Christ's sacrifice was to accomplish our salvation and that our sacrifice is to spread it. And so it's exactly what Paul's saying here in this passage right here. He's looking around at this cost benefit of everything that's going on in his life. He's looking around at the whole prison thing, and he's going, yeah, I do the whole thing again. Like, I do the entire thing again, totally worth it. Because, like, the word is spreading about the gospel. People are seeing that, hey, we're not backing away from this thing. Typically, when, when a message is untrue, you have no conviction about it. You back away when your life is on the line. People are understanding that, that, that this message is actually true. They're giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. His church is being built up. Like he's saying that that's all worth it to me. So what's it look like for Jesus to, look, to be first in your life? Like the word that keeps coming to mind here is just sacrifice. Like that's what we're seeing in Paul's life right here. Like it's all characterized by sacrifice. The reason he's able to rejoice in his suffering is because he knows that by giving up something good right now, like his freedom or like, like his comfort or a nice bed or a good meal or something like that, he knows that he's going to gain something greater in the end. Like, I mean, that's what a sacrifice is, church. It is a willingness to embrace suffering. That's what sacrifice does. It's a willingness to embrace suffering. It's a decision to give up something now that you love in exchange for something greater in the end. Like it's the woman who says yes to nine months of pregnancy, 12-hour labor, because they know they're getting a child in the end. It's a woman that's saying, hey, you know what, that whole thing was totally and completely worth it, right, because of this one that I'm holding in my arms. Like it's going to the gym at five o'clock in the morning so that you can actually get in shape. Like it's choosing to eat a salad so that you can live a longer life, right? It's choosing to not spend right now so that I can have money later on to spend. Church, when you and I are fully convinced that what you are gaining in the end is more valuable than what you're giving up, you and I will gladly make sacrifices all day long. I mean, it's exactly what's happening here with Paul. Like he's sitting here in prison and, and he's for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's going, yeah, but uh, you don't understand. Like the gospel is spreading. The church is being built up. Jesus is becoming famous and, and word about him is spreading all over the place. Like, like people are, are rising up. They're loving the lost. They're caring for the sick and for the poor. And so every single bit of what I'm going through, it's all totally worth it. Like the suffering's worth it. The lies and the accusations, they're completely worth it. The pain that I'm going through is completely worth it. Like the suffering's worth it. It's all worth it because Jesus is worth it. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of giving the entirety of my life. His glory is worth it. His fame is worth it. His church being edified and built up is worth it. Those who are being, those that are, that are lost and dead in their sins coming to life in him, it's all totally worth it. Like that's what it looks like when Jesus is actually first place in your life. And so, yeah, I, I, here it is. Like you may not have prison in your future like Paul did here in this, in this passage, but the reality is that if Jesus is actually first in your life, then you and I have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be comfortable with sacrifices made in our life. Like you gotta be willing to take everything that you've got and say, hey, God, all of this is yours. Everything that you've given to me, all of the privilege that I walk in every single day, my home, my security, my finances, my gifts, my talents, my time, my energy, my comfort levels, all of these things, everything that you've generously given to me, Father, it's all yours because you alone are worthy of it all. Church, like that's what the Christian life is. It was built on and it began with sacrifice. The Christian life began for us when we, when we got down on our knees and we say, Father, I'm recognizing that you have authority over my life. I'm recognizing that you alone are God, that I'm not God here. You're the one who spoke the world into existence. You're the one who initiated with love, love for me first when I was lost and dead in my sins. 
Like the Christian life began from this place of total surrender, saying, you know what, you're God and I'm not. I need forgiveness and I need you to be the one who forgives me. I'm laying it all down. It is all totally and completely yours. Church, like how in the world can we not give it all back to him? How in the world can we not give it all back to him, understanding that he's the one who's given it all to us in the beginning? I mean, Jesus is gonna say, if anyone wants to come after me, you've gotta actually deny yourself, take up your cross daily to follow me. In other words, like this isn't just a call for a few people. It's not just a call for a few who, who go and do it professionally or who are out that are gonna be missionaries or something like that. It, like sacrifice is the expectation for anyone who wants to follow him. I mean, you think about some of the things that he said all throughout scripture. Luke, Luke 14, 26, Jesus is gonna say, unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you can't actually be my disciple. I mean, it's a pretty inflammatory thing to say. And I think we understand, like, he's not literally talking about, hey, you need to hate your family or anything like that. That would actually contradict other things what he's, which, that he talks about, like, honor your father, your mother, right? Like, love one another and things of that nature. Nevertheless, he is using hyperbole simply to say that of all the relationships that you have on the earth, I have to be first and foremost. Like, I'm, I'm the priority of them all. I mean, can we just think for a second of what he's actually saying in this text? I mean, I, coming up on 18 years of marriage with Kat, there's not a person in the world that I'd rather spend time with. I mean, I've got a kid that I use for pretty much every single sermon illustration in the world. I mean, and I've got parents and a, a brothers and a sister that I that actually love. I've got an in-law that I love, and I'm happy that she moved in with us. Like, I, I love it. Like, I've got brothers, and I've got these great relationships, and what Jesus is saying here is that a, a disciple's love for him a disciple's loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be so strong that in comparison, it is like we hate the families that we so obviously love. That if there's ever a decision to be made between following your family or following Jesus and what he's called you to do, that 10 times out of 10, he's always gonna win. I'm thinking of some friends who got an email from them a little while ago. They're serving in an area of the world that is um, dominated by terrorism, that has got riots every single day. It's a war-torn part of the Middle East. A little while ago, they sent out this email and said, pray for us. We are getting an intense amount of pressure from our families to come home and to stop doing what we know God has called us to do. Why is, he, why is Jesus going after families and, and parents and kids and stuff like that right here? Like he knows how much influence they have in our lives. He knows that if they are first and foremost in our life, then we're gonna say, yes, ma'am, I'm gonna be right home and I'm never gonna do the things that he's called us to do. And he's saying that in comparison, that, that if you're gonna follow me, then I've actually gotta take priority over them. I mean, I'm thinking of the wife recently who stood up to her husband and said, no longer, I'm, I'm not gonna be watching porn with you anymore in our home. Your sin doesn't get to become my sin. That's what we're talking about here. We're saying, hey, I love you. I, I love you, I've given my life to you. You're the person I wanna spend more time with than anyone else in the world, but your sin doesn't get to become my own. Like your direction doesn't need to be mine. And it's not to, be, not to be bringing disunity in the home or anything like that, but nevertheless, what he's saying is that I have to be first and foremost in your life. I mean, in the very next verse, he's gonna say, whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple, Luke 14, 27. In other words, it's not just Jesus over a family that he's talking about here, but what he's saying is that Jesus has to be over every single part of your life. Where I go, what I choose to do vocationally, the places that he's called me to go, who I go serve, how I go do it. Church, how many of you know that if Jesus is actually first place in your life, then he may call you to go places you didn't actually want to go? Anyone ever had that happen before? You're sitting here going, I, I, I did not expect to be here. 
Nevertheless, in following Jesus, he's given me a burden for people. He's called me to go to a location. He's called me to do something I never would have otherwise done. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Wayne Walker, one of our homeless outreach ministry partners here in town, the founder of Our Calling, this massive, unbelievable um, ministry in downtown for the homeless in Dallas. I remember talking with him so many years ago about how he began the ministry and everything, and he said, you know what, I was actually a, I was a seminary student at Dallas Theological Seminary, studying Greek and Hebrew there. I was expecting to go into pastoral ministry. He's like, I never expected to go in to start serving homeless people, but I started going out, and I started sharing the gospel, and I started walking through the woods, and I started seeing these communities, and God got a hold of me, and I've never been able to let go of this calling that he's put on my life for, to go in to serve the homeless community. Church, like, that's what he does. Like, how many of you know that? Like, if you are following him, then he's going to call you to go places you didn't expect to go. He's, he's going he's to take you places that in the beginning were incredibly uncomfortable for you to be in. I'm thinking of For the Nations, Cameron and Caitlin Mullins, right? You've heard them come and share their testimony here about how they began their refugee ministry here in Dallas, Texas. Like, Caitlin was a school teacher. She was a school teacher. You know the story? Like she was a school teacher. Now this is the, one, of the, one of the best, most influential refugee ministries here in Dallas. And she was a school teacher, and she had a bunch of students in an apartment complex that didn't have a whole lot of things. She came by their apartments one afternoon to say, hey, I, I need to give you your homework. I need to give you some tutoring. And she began to see the way that they were living, the, all the different things that were going on in their life, the things that they were lacking. There was no furniture. There was no clothes. There was no jackets in the wintertime. There were no shoes that, that didn't have holes in them. And she started saying, wow, there's an enormous amount of people here that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. She quits her job, begins an after-school ministry there, just gathering kids together in this apartment complex, and now it's the most influential ministry here in Dallas, Texas Church. Like, how many of you know that if you're following Jesus first and foremost in your life, he's going to direct your path in places you never would have imagined? Kyle Jenkins, a good buddy of mine, loving, uh, uh, what was his ministry called? It was called Loving All People, right? Very creative, right? But that's his whole ministry. It's like he's a lay person. He's a lay person that just loves people. That's it. It's not even an organized ministry and stuff like that. At the very beginning, he's just a lay person looking around saying, hey, there's a bunch of refugees living in one area here in Dallas. And so he starts that, and he goes and he moves into that area. He moves, he and his wife, they start having babies in one of those apartments over there and starting a, starting a clothing, uh, like, a, like a, a food pantry for a little bit and then a clothes closet over there. And she says, you know what, we're just going to jump in and we're going to love these people. And over the years that they've been doing that, God's taken them into mosques. They had a season where they were going and doing Muslim outreach. They were actually sitting in mosques with people and enjoying conversations. They had them in their home. They went into their home, just loving all people, going into mosques. There was a season that, it was a, that their emphasis was on Oak Lawn. Like they were there in Oak Lawn, going to people that were not coming into conservative evangelical Christian churches. And they were eating with them. And they were loving them. And they started volunteering at those clinics just to love them. They had them in their home to say, hey, the gospel's for you too. It's not just for those over there. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us who are lost and dead in our sins and need the grace and healing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I took them over there. They went into brothels for a season. There was a massive underground movement here in Dallas, Texas. Had a team of ladies going underground brothels there, caring for people that were victims of sex sex trafficking and everything else. And like, like, who knows that, like, if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to take you places you never, ever, ever would have imagined. And I know some of you are kind of going, that's great for those, that's for those few who ended up starting ministries. You know what we discovered when we were doing these community grants? 
there's a group of teachers over there, families that have absolutely saying, you know what, we are going to give of our salary, help them get a jacket, we're going to help them get supplies. Way people, if he is first and foremost in your life, he's going to call you. To that's exactly what he's talking about right here. Like, it's just not. I mean, you cannot love people, though, without a willingness to sacrifice. Like, comfort can't be your highest priority because it's incompatible with love. You can't love a people if you're not willing to give yourself for them. Otherwise, it's just lip service. It's not actually real. I mean, over 59 times in the New Testament, church, we are called to consider one another. Like, that is the message throughout Scripture that you are all connected to one another. Here at the church, we're part of a body of believers right here. But 59 times it's going to say things like, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Like, be at peace with one another, Mark says. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Serve one another in love. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. And church, it just keeps going and going and going. I mean, honestly, can you just imagine what it would look like if we had an entire church of people that thought like that and believed like that and had that sacrificial mentality every single time we walked in the doors of this church. I'm telling you, it would be a different place. Like, can you imagine what it would look like if, if it was every single man, woman, and child that woke up on a Sunday morning and said, you know what, I'm not coming to a gathering of believers today simply to receive. Yes, I am gonna be there and I'm gonna receive, but Father, what would you have me do in the life of this body of believers? How would you have me serve them? Is there a, way, is there a word of encouragement is there a word of affirmation? You want to give me that I can go and be used by you for their edification, for their maturity, for the building up of Christ's body. Like, can you imagine if that became normative here at Dallas Bible Church? And it wasn't just a few volunteers here and there scattered around, and we didn't think about it like some mindless, numbing thing of just like, hey, I'm just opening up a door today. You're not opening up a door, you're opening up an opportunity. You're creating a welcoming environment for people to come in and to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But church, like, what would it look like if we had that sacrificial mentality that, hey, I don't belong to myself. I belong to one another. That what I do matters. I have a contribution to be made here at this church. That it's not just about what I'm going to receive. That it's about, hey, what, here's what I'm going to give. Like, what if we thought about our children's ministry like that? That it wasn't just a babysitting or something like that. That it wasn't just watching a few kids it was actually about investing in the next generation of kids that are not coming to church anymore. They're walking away. You know, the only rising designation of religious activity today is the rise of the nuns. Those are people who have no religious affiliation. That is the only increasing religious activity going on in our church today. People that are walking away from the faith saying, you know what, don't need it. Church, what if you looked at that ministry and you said, you know what, I'm not babysitting today. I'm investing my life in the next generation even if I'm holding babies and changing diapers there. Like, what if we had that different mentality and said, you know what, sacrifice is normative. It's how I think about life because it's what re what's required of me so that I can actually go and love people that I'm called to love. I'm telling you, church, we'd be a different church. We'd be a church that's included in that 1%. It's reaching those who are far away with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the praise and for the glory of his name. But the reality is, church, like that kind of ideal, that kind of thing that we shoot for and attain for, like it requires sacrifice. It requires a different mindset. And the reality, church, is that you and I will gladly sacrifice when we believe that the thing we receive in the end is worth more than what we're called to give up. So the question I just want to ask you, church, is like how much is Jesus' glory worth to you? How much is it worth? 
What are those things that he's called us to give up? I hope and prayer as we, we need to wrap up here, but um, it's very, very simply that Jesus would ascend on the throne of our lives. That we would be a church and a very, that we would be a people that say yes to every single sacrifice that he's called us to make. We would be a church of, it's not just spectators, it's not just people coming in and receiving, which is good, which you need to do for a season. But the spectating and observing and receiving is seasonal. And you come in and you receive, and you come in and you're filled, and you're come, you come in and you're reminded of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you come in and one day you get this conviction that, you know what, God has something for me to contribute to this whole thing too. I'm telling you, that would be a beautiful, beautiful church. And I hope and prayer is that he would take us there in the very near future. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you, God, that um, you've decided to bring us into this whole thing. Father, we long to see a move of God like Paul was seeing in his day. We long to see you turn the tide here in our country, in our city. The churches would be flooded with people coming in to hear about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because they're seeing it in their neighbors and in their coworkers and in their family members. Father, we long to see you praised and we long to see you glorified. Father, would you ascend on the throne of our lives, that we would be a church that is comfortable with sacrifice, knowing that that's how we love people, and that it would all turn into praise and glory for your name. Church, I just want to give you a minute. Would you just sit there for a little bit and just think about that word sacrifice? Maybe he's calling you to something specific this morning. Maybe it's, can't help but think as we're moving into a missions emphasis time that there may be someone in here that God has been calling you to move. He's been calling you to go somewhere and to serve him in a very unique way. And it's a terrifying endeavor, but that you may say yes to him. Maybe it's a financial sacrifice. Maybe it's a sacrifice of your time that says, you know what, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna invest in the church. I'm gonna invest in my community. want to give you a minute, would you just ask the Lord what that is? Let him bring it to mind.